What is up, everybody? This is episode 221 of No One's Ready for Wrestling as I talk professional wrestling and give my thoughts on the news that I read and the shows that I watch. Forbidden Door has come and gone, and we enter Money in the Bank, which I'm probably going to miss because I have to work, but I might, I'm probably going to catch half of it. Hopefully, I don't miss all of it, but um, we got Money in the Bank. I will be running down a predictions for that, and I will give my thoughts on Forbidden Door. Just my quick thoughts, because I'm going to be working today, tomorrow, and Sunday, so... Just a little programming note. And also, I will not be covering SmackDown on this episode um, because of work. I won't have time to watch SmackDown. So, I'm probably going to catch up to it when I get back home. Which I know is going to be late. So, I will talk about what I thought about um, last episode of SmackDown. Just the key pointers that I took away from uh the show, which I would not be surprised if Charlotte Flair beats Oscar for the title, but who knows? We'll see. It might end in a disqualification. But for those of you who are new, I am the one, the only Phoenix that rises from the ashes. This is your boy, Shino Phoenix. And I thank you guys so much for tuning in to this week's episode of the podcast. Now, like I said, I will be talking about Forbidden Door. Give my thoughts on the show. What did I think about the pay-per-view? What was the best match on that entire show? Um, we got some Forbidden Door news. And we'll talk Dynamite. We got news on Vince McMahon. His constant changes. And what is and WWE is trying to fi- find out a way t- to stop Vince from changing creative plans in the last second. Or the day of the show. Which is something that has been my pet peeve. And the real reason why Grayson Waller hasn't wrestled a match on SmackDown for a while. And it's it's a legit reason. So you'll be, you'll be uh, surprised. We'll talk NXT Gold Rush. And a surprising gimmick return. Which got me excited. And I'm going to end it by doing my predictions... For money in the bank. So that's what we got planned for this episode. But once again, I thank you guys so much for um, choosing me. Choosing me to listen to your podcast, to this podcast on the weekend. So I, I really appreciate all of you. Now, I will not be live tweeting for the next two weeks. Because I'm taking a week off from social media. But... um. If you guys want to follow me, you could um, follow me on Twitter, Shino D. Phoenix. And I do, for those of you who don't know, I do live tweet for Raw, NXT, Dynamite, sometimes Collision, sometimes um, Rampage, um, and many others. But I choose to do that. Like, I choose to talk wrestling, but sometimes I like to uh, tweet what's on my mind and promote my streams, which I got an announcement. I will be back streaming on July 17th on Kick. We're going to go for the road to affiliate. And if we reach that, we're going to celebrate. And who knows? Maybe this Phoenix might go for that fancy check mark, even though he doesn't care about the check mark. 
I just want to have a good time with my uh, peeps. But um, you can follow me on Twitch and Kick is Shino Phoenix, and I will be back on Twitch after, like on July eighteenth, to catch up with my followers on there. And um, the time that's going to be to be determined. You can find me on Instagram, CoolManSip. That's C Y P, by the way. So I appreciate all of you guys if you follow me there. Subscribe to my YouTube channel. We've literally had a really good shorts on um, YouTube where I reacted to Super Mario RPG, which technically got it started in Instagram. And it's also the same on TikTok. It's been blowing up. But um, if you want to follow me, if you want to follow me on TikTok, it's Shino D Phoenix. If you want to um, subscribe to my YouTube channel, it's the same, Shino D Phoenix. And make sure you guys like the Facebook page. No one's ready for wrestling. That way you guys can stay up to date uh, for the podcast. And I really would appreciate all of that. So without further ado, let's get right into the show. And I want to discuss Forbidden Door. I got the chance to watch Forbidden Door with my brother. And it was an excellent pay-per-view. It was an excellent pay-per-view. Now... Toronto, it was in Toronto, I have friends in Toronto, and I'm just going to say this, after watching Forbidden Door, and hearing that crowd reaction, it makes me want to visit Toronto for a week, like spend a week in Toronto, that's one of my dreams, and Toronto, you guys absolutely fucking killed it, you guys absolutely killed it at Forbidden Door. That was one of the highlights of that entire um, pay-per-view. But there's a lot of highlights. Like, this was an excellent show. And I and I know I'm a broken record when I say it. This was an excellent show. Like, I, I don't think there was a bad match. It was either average, it was good, it was great, it was excellent, or it was outstanding. But uh, I really loved this pay-per-view. And hopefully the next Forbidden Door, we can get some stardom representation. I would love that. That would be nice. That would be really nice. But we had the Zero Hour. We had Mogul, Mogul Embassy taking on Chaos, which is Best Friends, and Rocky Romero. And they're teaming up with El Desperado. Um, this was a fine match. I really didn't get much into it that much. Like, it was good, but I missed, like, pretty much half of it because I was walking the dog. And I come back and I see Mogul Embassy. They got the win over Chaos and El Desperado, which it was a fine match. It was a fine match. Mogul Embassy needed this win. We had the Women's Owen Hart Cup Tournament first round between Athena and Billy Starks. This This was good. I'm going to be honest when I say it. This was a really, really good match. And Billy Starks, I, I say this every time. Billy Starks is a star. She is a fucking star. And if I am Tony Khan, and I'm being real when I say this, if I'm Tony Khan, I would be a fool to not sign Billy Starks to a contract. I mean, she graduated. She's Victorian. And Nick Wayne also graduated, which we'll be seeing him uh, in July. 
So I think the future is bright for these two young stars. And Athena is fucking great, man. It, it, and you know, it still boggles my mind. It boggles my mind to this very day as to why WWE decided to let go of Ember Moon. I don't understand. But this is a blessing for Athena because she never got to showcase what she can do as a heel. And I think, like, and she's been on a winning streak. I'm not going to lie. She's been on a winning streak from what I've heard. 49 straight wins. She's a star. Like, literally. And I I knew Billy Starks wasn't going to win this match. But she gave it her all. She gave it to Athena. But Athena, she goes to the semifinals to take on Willow Nightingale. And that is a match I'm looking forward to. I could see Willow Nightingale beating Athena and going to the finals. Or I could see Athena beating Willow Nightingale and going to the finals against either Sky Blue or potentially Ruby Soho. So, I feel like it's going to be a... I feel like Willow and Athena, they're going to tear the fucking roof down. So, I'm looking forward to that match. We have El Fantasmo taking on Stu Grayson. It's two Canadians. And I thought they had a, gr- a great match. Really not much I could say um, about it, but it was a great match. But uh, El Fantasmo, he got the win over Stu Grayson. And like I said, it was fine for what it was. And in our last zero hour, we had Los Ingobernables de Japón, Hiromu Takahashi, uh, Shingo Tagaki, and Bushi taking on United Empire in a six-man tag. Like, I I love Shingo Tagaki. I really do. But he does not deserve to be on the pre-show. How dare you? How dare you? Just, how dare you? He's fucking good. But anyway, anyway, I thought this was a good six-man tag match with Shingo Tagaki getting the victory with the Made in Japan finisher. And it, like I said, it was good for what it was. But um, that was zero hour. But let's talk about the main card. We opened the show with the AEW World Championship on the line as MJF defended his title against Hiroshi Tanahashi. This was a good match. This was a really good opener. Now, it was your typical Tanahashi match, but I could tell Tanahashi, his, like, he's, he's hurting. Like, there was parts where he tries to go for the high fly flow, and when he's standing, you could see his knees, like, shaking a little bit. So, clearly his knees has been bothering him. So, but MJF... Demanded that he wanted this to be the opening match at Forbidden Door. And he got his wish. And now, MJF, he actually retained. Which made sense because Tanahashi was not going to win the AEW world title. Because MJF is holding that title for the rest of this year. Like, I don't see him dropping it this year. But this was a good opener. I would honestly recommend that you take a look at how the character work with MJF is. How great he is as a heel. He is somebody that you love to hate. And that's something I love in a heel. And that's what matters the most. Now, 
we had the first round of the Owen Hart Cup between Satoshi Kojima taking on CM Punk. The people in Toronto love CM Punk. They loved him so much, they showered him with cheers. Nah, I'm just kidding. They booed the fuck out of CM Punk. They booed this guy to oblivion. And they were pro-Kojima. They were pro-Satoshi Kojima. Now, this match, it was good. It was good for what it was. Um, But, like, I even I knew... That CM Punk was not losing in his singles match. So it was kind of, kind of, most definitely predictable. And we had CM Punk winning with the GTS. And he showed his respect to Satoshi Kojima. Which I thought it was really good. And before I move on to this next match. You may have realized I didn't talk about Adam Cole or Tom Lawler. That's because, hold on. Something stuck in my teeth. <laughs> That's because the match was canceled because Adam Cole was ill. Like, he was sick. Something MJF should have done. So, that match did not happen. We'll get that match eventually. But, um... And speaking of CM Punk... Um... Him and Kenny Omega, they were kept on separate sides of the building... During the Forbidden Door. Now, Fightful Select, that was they reported that Punk and Kenny Omega were, um, were kept on completely different sides of the building during AEW and New Japan's Forbidden Door show. Now, if you're wondering how AEW would handle things when both sides have to work on the same show, that appears to be the solution for now. Now, it was not said if the Young Bucks were kept away from Punk but presumably, that would be the case as well since they're also on the card. So, like, it's working for now, but we'll see how long that's going to last. Now, on the Forbidden Door show, before we get to the International Championship match, AEW announces that they will be returning to Chicago for Dynamite, for Rampage, Collision, and All Out. And so Collision will take place on the 2nd of September. Dynamite and Rampage will be at the Now Arena on the 30th of August. And of course, All Out will be at the United Center on September 3rd. And you know what I saw on social media? Do you know what I saw? And and look, this could be honesty. Because look, I love Chicago. I really do. But I would like to I would like for them to venture on into something like a place that never got a pay-per-view. Like, say for instance, down here in Louisiana, you could come to the fucking Smoothie King Center and have fucking double or nothing or fucking full gear or fucking uh revolution, which I think that would be great, but you never know. Or go to the UN. The UNO Arena for a pay-per-view. You did you did a Dynamite show there. So, I would love to see that. But, I mean, I, I can't complain. I mean, it's at the United Center, so it is what it is. But, we had the AEW International Championship match. 
Fatal 4-Way, we had Orange Cassidy defending his title against Daniel Garcia, Zack Sabre Jr., and Katsuyori Shibata. This was fun. This was a really, really fun match. Now, there's a moment in this match where Daniel Garcia, he's doing a stupid fucking dance. Now, and this was during a chopping exchange between Zack Sabre Jr. and Katsuyori Shibata. Now, he's trying to get involved, okay? He's trying to get involved, and each of them chop him, and he's doing this stupid dance, and I'm like, I was just getting annoyed by that. I'm like, can you please fucking stop? Like, it it, it, it works. It works, but, um, like, I'm just being honest when I say that. It's just, it's... It looks so dumb, but it's good. Now, the match ending was good. Um, Kasiori Shibata, he hit a PK on, I believe, Daniel Garcia. Orange Cassidy slithered his way, throws out Shibata, pins Daniel Garcia to retain the AEW International Championship. And like I said, it was a fun fucking match it was a fun match and I enjoyed it like I really enjoyed it because it just shows how much the international title has more value than the TNT title and that's saying a lot like and I say that on my show all the time like it felt it feels more like a secondary title than the TNT title so hopefully like Hopefully, we could get that resolved, but Shibata showed respect, and I believe ZSJ, he wants another shot, but it's just him and Orange Cassidy, which I think that's going to be good. We have the IWGP World Heavyweight title on the line as Sonata defended his title over Jungle Boy ja- against Jungle Boy Jack Perry. Now, the match was not bad. And I know everybody's been saying that, like, you could have saved that for, like, somebody else. But when you look at it, Sonata and Jungle Boy, they're pretty much alike. They came from, they were a tag team. They're trying to branch out on their own. But Sonata, he's finding more success. And he looks, he looks like a star. He carry, he carries himself like a star. This was good. This was good for what it was. It wasn't the match that I really wasn't focused on. It was what happened after the match. That was the thing that got my attention. But Sonata, he won and retained over Jungle Boy, which I thought this was a good match. Now, Hook was in Jungle Boy's corner. So, Hook, he's walking Jungle Boy up to the ramp. They cut to commentary to introduce the Japanese announce team. And all of a sudden, it cuts back to Hook and Jungle Boy, maybe they missed their cue. And so he's raising Jungle Boy's hand up when all of a sudden, Jungle Boy Jack Perry lays a lariat on Hook. And he takes the T- the FTW title, which is, I mean, is not an official title in AEW. Like, it's not technically an official title. And he raised it up and he throws it. So 
Jungle Boy is a heel. Jungle Boy is a heel. And I'm all in for it. It's been long overdue that he gets a character change. And I think this is an excellent idea. Like, the match, I mean, it was important, but it was the post-match that was important because it's about time we got heel Jungle Boy. I think he got booed, if I'm correct. He got booed uh, during his match with uh, Doki on Rampage. So, the tide has turned, which I don't mind it. I think this is a good move. This is really, really a good move. We had the Elite, Eddie Kingston, and Tomohiro Ishii taking on the Blackpool Combat Club, Kanosuke Takeshita, in Wheeler, Utah. This was wild. And this was really, this was excellent, man. This 10-man tag was freaking excellent. Like, I could, I can't even keep up with some of the stuff that happened in the ring. There was one part I did like, and I think this was... When Eddie Kingston and John Moxley, they shared a ring and Claudio tagged himself back. I think they had a chopping contest with... No, 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 no. That's for Dynamite. That was for Dynamite. Um, But I love the dynamic with Eddie Kingston and John Moxley. That's like the side story that I'm enjoying. Their friendship and a swing. Um, There was one part where Kanosuke Takeshita hit a forearm on Tomohiro Ishii, and he knocked him the fuck out. Like, I swear to you, I swear to everybody, he knocked him the fuck out. And it was brutal. There was another part of the match where Eddie Kingston took a super kick from the Young Bucks to save his friend, John Moxley. And I was sitting in the couch, and I'm thinking to myself, well, that has to be how the Blackpool Combat Club wins, right? Boy, was I wrong. And I even picked the Blackpool Combat Club to win. But this was, the ending was great. Like, everybody was hitting their, their finishers. You had Ishii hitting uh, Shota Umino uh, with the, um, with a brain buster at the end. He gets the win, and I was really happy to see that. And the baby faces, they get the win. And it continues the feud with um the Elite and the BCC, which we'll get into when we talk Dynamite. But this was wild. This was excellent. This was fun. I enjoyed every second of this. I really did. And it teases a dynamic with Moxley and Kingston, which continued on. On Dynamite, which we'll get into. We had Tony Storm uh, defending her AEW Women's Championship against Willow Nightingale. This was a come down match, but it was a really good match between both of these women after that wild performance from the 10 man group. Um, like, I, I love. It's amazing, you know, it's really amazing how WWE dropped the ball with Tony Storm. And I'm staring a direct hole at you, Vince, because how could you not see how talented this fucking woman is? Triple H saw that, but you didn't. You, like, it's night and day. Like, 
in WWE, she had a pie thrown at her face by Charlotte Flair. Yeah, like, that's a way to make young, a young talent, right? That's how you get somebody over, right? Let's put a pie in somebody's face. And here she is in AEW, and she's possibly doing the best work of her fucking career. She's doing the best work of her career, and just, just seeing her in that ring, and just having her get, like, seeing her do what she does best, it just makes me happy, because I know how good Tony Storm is. I really do. But Tony Storm and Roland Nightingale, they had a really, really, really good match, and even though it was a come down, the crowd was still up for this match because these two women can go. These two women can go. And Tony Storm, she won with the Storm Zero to retain the title. And we move on to the next day. So I, I like this. I thought this was pretty good. When you look back at this year, when you look back at this year, there is no better story or better match to discuss when you talk Will Ospreay and Kenny Omega. This match, I cannot even put it in words. Like, this fucking match was a bloody classic. That's the word I'm looking at. It's a bloody classic. And... Just seeing how much, how much these um these people are doing what they do best. It's not like it's just unbelievable. Like I go, I talked about the match they had at Wrestle Kingdom eight uh, this year. Like I talked about the match they had at Wrestle Kingdom, and it was fantastic. And it was up there on my list as one of the best matches of the entire year so far. It's up there on my list. Now, this match, holy shit, man. Holy fucking shit. This was outstanding. This was one half of the main event. It was a lot of blood in this match. Now, if you ask, what is my biggest criticism? My minor criticism, and this is what it is, because everybody's a critic. My big issue that I had in that match was the fact that, um, the fact that is Don Callis. He get he gets ejected, right? He gets ejected, and then, and then a couple minutes, like near the end of the match. He's somehow back, and the ref is just, I'm like, why? So that's just my little minor critique on the match. My minor critique was that. But this was blood. All just, I, I can't even put it in, like, you guys have to watch the match. You have to watch the match to understand the greatness that is Will Ospreay and Kenny Omega. Now, there was a part where Will Ospreay hit Kenny Omega with his own finisher, the one-winged angel, which is literally an electric chair position, and it's, a, and it's like an electric chair driver. So, Kenny Omega, 
kicks out at one of his own finisher. Keep in mind, the one-winged angel is one of the most protected finishers in all of pro wrestling. And to see Kenny Omega kick out of it, I'm just thinking to myself, well, you just kicked out of your own finisher. So anybody could kick out of that now. Like, but I think it's going to be saved for somebody special to see who kicks out of Omega's finisher. But, like, this was a really, really great back and forth. And Kenny Omega had the match won, had it not been for Don Callis. Don Callis, he grabs a screwdriver, hands it to Will Ospreay, like, while the ref is... While he's Kenny Omega is is distracted by the ref, he hands him a screwdriver, like, and Kenny manages to hit him, get the one wing, not the one winged angel. He gets him up in the position for the one winged angel. Will Osprey stabs him with the screwdriver, hits the hidden blade, hits a stormbreaker. One, two, three. We have a new. IWGP United States Champion and Will Ospreay. This match was excellent. This was phenomenal. Is it better than their match at Wrestle Kingdom at Wrestle Kingdom this year? Oh, that's going to be a debate. That's going to be a debate. And the reason I say is a debate because because you don't know, like, and I'm being real when I say this, you just don't know how to, how to um, put it in words. Like, their Wrestle Kingdom match was excellent. This match was excellent. And I guarantee the next time we see these two again, that's going to be at All In and at the Wembley Stadium. Over 60,000 plus people in attendance to see these two guys put on a fucking show. This was just, just amazing. That's, that's the best word I could say. It was absolutely amazing. And all I could say is, this is why I love pro wrestling. Like, Kenny Omega, I'm, I'm, I gotta give Kenny his due, man. Like, Kenny Omega, I say this every time, Kenny Omega is one of the best, possibly currently one of the best Canadian wrestlers out there. Like, he is just unbelievable to watch. And Will Ospreay, like, just unbelievable what he does in the ring. Everything he does in that ring is so fucking great. You you cannot comprehend it. Like, his in-ring work has been has been flawless battling injuries and all that shit like he has been on a roll to say the least he has been on a roll to showcase what he can do and I would not be surprised if there's reports that says WWE is interested in signing Will Ospreay because they know how good he is but do you think Will Ospreay is going to go to WWE? Hell no. I just don't see him going to WWE. It's just not going to happen. And I'm being real when I say that. It's 
not going to happen. Because that's the God honest truth. He, he He's like, I don't think he doesn't need WWE. He really doesn't. That's the reality of things. He does not need to go to WWE to prove his worth. Now, he did. Now, do I want to see him and Seth Rollins go one on one? You bet your fucking ass I do. Is it going to happen? You never know. Anything is possible. But this was an excellent match. This is up there. Like, it should be in the top five as one of the best matches of the year. I think that's just my honest opinion on that. I think this is one of the best matches of the year. But we'll see. Like, I might even do a poll after All In because we all know we're getting this match with a stipulation. And I'll do a poll and I'll say which which Kenny Omega Osprey match was better. Forbidden Door, Wrestle Kingdom, or All In. That's going to be the plan because we all know that's going to happen. And I will not be surprised if they outdid the match they did at Forbidden Door. This was perfect. Damn near perfect. Like, and I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it for what it was. And that's all I could say about that. We had Darby Allen, Sting, and Tetsuya Naito taking on Chris Jericho, Minoru Suzuki, and Sammy Guevara. If I had to say what was the weakest match on the show... It would have to be this one. Because after the last match, that crowd was fucking exhausted as hell. After seeing that match. This this was just... like It, it, was, it was fine. Alright? It was a fine match. Really not much I could say about it, but... The baby faces, Sting, Darby, and Tetsuya Naito, they got the win over the heels. And... Like I said, it was fine for what it was. Really not much I could say, but it was fine. And then it was time for the dream match. Brian Danielson came out to the final countdown. Which is hands down one of... He uses that on his when he was on the indies. And he was at Ring of Honor and he used that. So the final countdown, just hearing that is one of my favorite songs from Europe. And I enjoyed it. I'm not going to lie. I absolutely fucking enjoyed it. We had Okada and Brian in the ring. This was just amazing, man. But was the match good? Yes, it was. Was it great? No, it wasn't. I just, and the reason I'm saying it wasn't a great match like it was it was it was a great way to close out the, the pay-per-view but the reason I said the match is not great is because I feel like we haven't seen them in their full potential just yet. And I know that sounds crazy for me to say that but like it's still delivered. I'm not saying that the match sucked cuz I don't want people to misconstrue and say, "Oh, you're saying the match sucked." No, I did not. When did I say the match sucked? That's what I want to know. Like, I want you to tell me that. Like, tell me. When did the match suck? That's what I want to know. Because I didn't think the match sucked. I didn't think the match sucked. So, 
I thought it delivered, and we had a surprising finish in that match. Brian Danielson submitted Kazuchika Okada, which shocked literally everybody. He, it shocked me. And to have Brian Danielson beat one of the best wrestlers in the world, I mean, it just shows that he's technically now one of the best of all time. And there's a reason why Okada tapped out. Because the G1 is coming up. I can't be injured going into the G1. So he probably didn't give it his all. So next time, I feel like they're going to run it back. And hopefully, at next year's Wrestle Kingdom, we get Brian Danielson against Okada. And you let them go all the fuck out. I think that would be amazing. I think that would be great. But speaking of Brian Danielson, speaking of Brian, um, he was actually injured coming out of that match. And he suffered a broken wrist. And we all thought that, like, we all thought that it's a minor injury. It's not, um, he's going to get back in time for blood and guts, but that's not the case. His broken arm is worse than it initially thought. Now, this was revealed on Brie Bella's Instagram. And she revealed that Danielson's injury is worse than they thought. She did not say what that return timeline is for him. But the x-ray... Like, if you look at the x-ray... Like, the bone literally came off of his wrist. Like, he wrestled 10 minutes... With this... With his wrist being broken. That's insane. Like, the hope was that he was going to be back to... To compete... In wrestling for six to eight weeks. But it looks like he's going to be out for a long, long time. And that really put a damper on the blood and guts match that we're going to get. Because I felt that he was going to be a part of that. But uh, unfortunately, that injuries happen. Injuries happen. You can't control that. It is something that... Like, it's something that... um. You can't undo, you know? But other than that, I thought this was... Um, I thought this was an excellent pay-per-view. It's up there as one of the pay-per-views of the year. Like, it's gonna be... Like, I might have to make a list of my top favorite pay-per-views of this year. And I will give my input, how I felt about some of... Like, what I thought was the all-time best. And uh, we'll we'll see where that goes, man. But other than that, like I said, excellent pay-per-view. I am looking forward to it. And um, all I can say is... All I can say is this. Next Forbidden Door. Like, I think they're going to go all out for this one. No pun intended. And I would really love to see Stardom be input it in there like I think that would be perfect to get give stardom some exposure I think that's what we should have got but other than that I did not mind this it looks like all is well between FTR and the Young Bucks 
Now, there are issues between CM Punk and the Elite. FTR is said to be on good terms with the Young Bucks following the brawl at AEW All Out. Now, as previously reported, Dax Harwood came to the defense of CM Punk and called out a wrestler who has spoken about the tensions behind the scenes and the issues between two sides hasn't improved following Punk's interview with ESPN and his collision promo as a divisiveness has become worse over the last week following Punk's return. Now, while speaking of The Observer, Dave Meltzer noted that all is well between the Bucks and FTR. Brian Alvarez noted that the locker room for Punk and the Elite were kept far apart and they never interacted during the show. Now, neither of them were brought to the press conference. Tony Khan said later down the line they would be. FTR, Omega, the Young Bucks, they're all fine. Some people think it's like a divide with Punk and FTR against these guys. With Punk, there's still fence mending that needs to be done for them to work together, which that has to happen at some point. And everything like that. It could happen. It may not happen. But time will tell. But with FTR, it's fine. There's nothing at all that would hold up if they would do a tag team title program at some point tomorrow. Everyone's cool with that. FTR worked really hard on that too. They went out of their way to get that done. There was stuff there, of course, but it was not nearly as bad of an issue as it was with CM Punk. It was much easier to mend. So anyway, that's all taken care of, which that's good. That's good. This is a good start in the right direction. And not only that, and, and I want to say this to add on to that. The moment they mend fences, when CM Punk and the Elite, they mend fences, and they put all this petty, childish bullshit behind them, I think everything's going to be better for, for AEW in the end. Because if there's one thing AEW does not need, they don't need drama. So... I would be definitely opposed to having having CM Punk, not CM Punk, um, FTR and the Young Bucks have a match again because the match they had last time, it was fucking fantastic. I would definitely love to see them run it back. But I'm glad all is well with uh, the Bucks and FTR. Now, moving on, we got Chris Hero who was backstage at AEW at one point. And sometimes the in-ring career of a wrestler doesn't last forever. No matter who you are or how big of a name you become, some wrestlers step away from wrestling for good, while others transition into other worlds, including being a producer or a coach. Chris Hero has made a name for himself on the independent wrestling scene and in Ring of Honor. He was part of the King of Wrestling's tag team with Claudio Castagnoli, better known as Cesaro, in WWE, as they won the Ring of Honor tag team titles twice. Hero had his first stint with WWE from 2011 to 2013. He returned to 2016 from his, for his second run, where he used to work in NXT, in addition to working at NXT UK, and he was released on April of 2020 due to budget cuts, which budget cuts are full of shit. 
Hero was reportedly backstage at Collision two weeks ago in Chicago with the company on a trial basis as a producer and a coach. And Chris Hero has confirmed on Twitter that he's working behind the scenes uh, at AEW. So he pretty much tweeted just doing a little coaching at the Forbidden Door. So I think that's a nice gig for Chris Hero. He's a veteran. He's been in this business for many years. And it will really be nice to get um, to have young talent get some advices from somebody like Chris Hero. So I think this is a smart move. So I'm glad he's doing stuff behind the scenes with uh, AEW. And coaching too, I think that's perfect as well. I think that is perfect as well. And I think he's going to do good. Now, usually every year in AEW, we have Grand Slam. We usually have Grand Slam. And um, and usually it'll be at the Arthur Ashe Stadium. So, with AEW coming off of his latest pay-per-view, The Forbidden Door, the promotion will be looking forward to not just a historic all-in at Wembley Stadium and all-out in Chicago, but also future events, including their return to Arthur Ashe Stadium. AEW held his first wrestling show in September with the Grand Slam Special Edition of Dynamite in New York City. The 2021 edition drew 1.273 million viewers and did a .48 in the key demo ratings, while last year's show was stacked with five title matches, drew 1.39 million viewers and .35 in the ratings. The 2022 event featured John Moxley defeating Brian Danielson to win the vacant AEW world title in the headliner. Andrew Zarian of the Matt Men podcast noted on Twitter that September 20th, four days before my birthday, because my birthday's on the 24th, is the day for the event of the third installment. It's likely AEW will run collision at the venue. So, I'm looking forward to Grand Slam. Because I always love the Grand Slam shows. I think Grand Slam is really, really good. And if it's on September 20th, that is literally four days before my birthday. And I am super, super excited to um to have this like to have this um on as a like a nice little birthday appetizer my pre-birthday appetizer that's what I can't wait for but um that's all I can say about that but I'm looking I don't know what the card is going to be but I'm looking forward to how they build this card up for um for the Grand Slam show. Because they never disappoint. They never, never disappoint. AEW Dynamite took place at the Ontario Care in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. And this this was the fallout for Forbidden Door. And this was an it's not a bad episode. I could honestly say that um this was uh it was decent. There, there was some good wrestling, but um, it was just a wild episode. That's the best way I could say it. It was a wild episode. And we started off hot 
with John Moxley and Tomohiro Ishii. <laughs> this was a brawl. This was a brawl. You had Claudio and Wheeler watching. Eddie Kingston was watching as well. And Will not Wheeler, Claudio and Eddie, they had this death stare at each other. They really did. And there was a part in this match where you see Moxley and I believe Ishii, they were exchanging headbutts. They were hitting knife-edge chops. Like, Moxley was bleeding. Which, by the way, I forgot to mention this at Forbidden Door. Moxley did not even bleed in that 10-man tag. What a shocker! But here he bled because he didn't bleed on um, at Forbidden Door. And he had this gash. Like, he had this cut on his forehead. And it's just... I think it was after the headbutt for I from Ishii. But this was just... This was really great, man. This was a great opener. John Moxley, he got the win. And after the match, Moxley is heading back. And he shoulder barges Kingston. And they talk trash to each other as Moxley is heading to the back. Which, again, I love the, the dynamic with Eddie Kingston and John Moxley. So, it just makes for interesting television. Renee was backstage as Adam Cole arrives in the building with MJF uh, turning up at the same time. Now, MJF, he's congratulating Adam Cole for getting sick at Forbidden Door because he said, I wish I thought of that. And he's like, I think we got off on the wrong foot. Nobody is on the level, but if there's anyone close, it's you, Adam Cole. He tells him to imagine what they can do as a team. And he thinks they should bond on this weekend. And he reveals a new shirt. Better than you, baby. And he's like, you can order it now on AEWshop.com, which is a nice little plug. And that I thought this was funny. This was a funny, nice um, uh, backstage segment. But Renee was not done yet. Renee was all over the place. Uh, Renee is shouting at John Moxley, shouting at her husband, and she's asking, what's going on between you and Eddie Kingston? And Eddie Kingston turns up, and they're arguing, and he's like, why are you, why are you teaming with this, piece of, with this piece of trash, referring to Claudio Castagnoli? And he says, Mo he has Moxley's back, but you're with Claudio. And Renee, she's trying to play Peacemaker. And Blackpool Combat Club, they walk off. And Renee is telling uh, Kingston to fix this. Because I'm done. So, nice little drama. Nice little drama to add to this storyline. We had Orange Cassidy, Keith Lee, and El Hijo Del Vikingo taking on 2.0 and Daniel Garcia. Um, this was a fine match. This was fine for what it was. I think, like, and it was really, I was really happy to see Keith Lee on Dynamite. And not only that, he gets the win for the team, which something you rarely see now, which I'm really happy for. Speaking of Keith Lee and the AEW uh, Tag Team Eliminator, guess who he's going to be teaming up with? 
his old rival, Swerve Strickland. And and I'm just thinking to myself, oh my goodness. We and here's another thing. This is something I've also realized we never got that um that one-on-one match uh for Omega not Omega for Keith Lee and Swerve. It just didn't happen yet. So they will take on Darby Allen and Orange Cassidy next week in the Blind Eliminator Tag Team Tournament. Now, I don't know. They didn't reveal anything else for the Tag Team Eliminators. Like, it's just... Like, I would like for shit to be revealed. So, that's pretty much that. And, um... Like, it was fine for what it was. That's the best way I could say it. It was fine for what it was. We go to Hangman Page and the Bucks of Youth. They're backstage, and and they're saying they they have an open challenge, but the Dark Order comes up, John Silver, Alex Reynolds, and Evil Uno, and they accept it. And Page, he's trying to play Peacekeeper. He's like, look, let's just make it... um." Let's make it um, a 12-man tag. But they made it clear they're here to fight them. And Paige, he's trying to apologize for not talking to them. But Evil Uno points out that I gave up on them. He gave up on them as Paige acts if he's their babysitter. But the Dark Order made it clear that they're their opponent. So we get to this match. I thought this was fun. This was a fun match for what it was. And... The Young Bucks and Paige, they got the win over the Dark Order. It was fun for what it was. And it it teases more drama with the Dark Order. And after the match, the Blackpool Combat Club, they jump the Elite. And the Dark Order, they're just standing at by the entrance ramp. And they're seeing this. But they walk away. Eddie Kingston comes in, but... He gets jumped as well, and Paige is bleeding. Moxley had to. T- there was one point where Moxley turned away, where Claudio and Willa Yuta trapped Eddie Kingston's arm, and they smashed it with a table. Not uh, not a table, with a chair. He turned away because he didn't want to see his friend get hurt. So that's a nice little attention to detail that I caught. So Moxley gets on the mic and he says, "I had." It has been a blast, but it's time for this to end. And it's time we push each other to our limits. July 19th, blood and guts. So, it was originally, I felt originally, it was going to be Moxley, Claudio, Wheeler, Brian, and Kanosuke. And you got the Elite. You got possibly Eddie Kingston, I don't know. And Kota Ibushi. Now, judging by what I'm seeing, it looks like it's going to be the Blackpool Combat Club and Konosuke taking on uh, the Elite, which is Hangman Page, Kenny Omega, and the Young Bucks. So, I don't know if it's going to be 4v4 or maybe 5v5, but they could have a way. To do a 5v5 match. But I don't know. But um, I'm looking forward to Blood and Guts. And the rivalry is about to come to an end. 
is about to come to an end, and uh, I, I can't wait to see how this plays out. We go to Jungle Boy Jack Perry, who, who came out to Tarzan Boy one final time. And I actually do have news on that, because that's the last time you're going to be hearing uh, Tarzan Boy. Sorry, I had to do it. Now, Sean Ross Sapp of Fightful reported that Jungle Boy's babyface-friendly theme has been planned for a change to go along with this heel term. And a new theme has been created for him. Now, he's been using Baltimore's Tarzan Boys since 2001, a song that got over with the fans. So, he will be having a new theme music, and I'm curious to see how the new theme is going to sound. So, I'm looking forward to that. Now, he comes out, he says, cut. He tells AEW to turn that garbage off as the fans have ruined the song to the point that we will not hear it again. He has a car ready to take him to the airport. He's cashing checks and banging the hottest woman, <coughs> Anna Jay, in the company. He questions if he turned on Hook or if everybody turned on him. After everything he has given this place. He claims Hook is an entitled second generation prick. And the belt isn't even officially recognized, which... Is one of the biggest takeaways. And that. And my brother and I. We said the same thing. The belt is not even recognized. And. And we both said the same. We just said. We just thought about it. Which is the same reason why he doesn't recognize Hook. And that's because he's a fraud. He claims Hook was so lucky. To ever stand next to him. As he was a tag team champion. In the last. And his last duo. And his family. And that is why he's going to take it from him. Perry says. When he gets his hands on Hook. He's going to beat the shit out of him. And Hook comes out. And he makes a beeline to the ring. And Jung Jungle Boy Jack Perry. Um, is running. He springs away. Through the fans. And Hook, he's like, man, I'm just going to fucking chase you. And he go, we go backstage. And he's sprinting backstage. He dives into the car. And he escapes. So, I thought this was a good heel promo for, for Jack Perry. And look, a heel turn, I think, is needed. And we might see him reunite with Christian Cage. That's a possibility. You never know. But maybe he wants to do things on his own. I want to see what he does on his own as a heel. I think that's a good possibility. We were supposed to get Ruby Soho versus Britt Baker in the Owens Hart tournament. But once again, due to illness, Britt Baker had to uh, was not clear to compete. So instead, we got a squash match from Ruby Soho, which, I mean, it is what it is. Now, after the match, they spray an L on uh, Alexa Nicole's as Soho says, rookies get whatever they want. Um, they get whatever they want around here as in terms of Baker getting another shot, 
in the competition next week. She says Baker and Cole would have been would have weak bastards if they had kids. She questions if Baker knows who she actually is. And so points out that they have taken everything from Baker and they will keep doing so until she has nothing. And I thought this was a nice shoot promo to uh, hype up their match for next week, which, look, if something bad happens, if someone's out with injury or sickness, I mean, at least you got to improvise. So, I mean, it was fine for what it was. And then we had the Tornado Tag Team match. We had Darby Allin and Sting taking on the pain maker, Chris Jericho, and Sammy Guevara. Now, I, I forgot to mention one part on Forbidden Door that kind of rubbed me a little bit the wrong way. There was a part where Sammy Guevara did the 630 senton on Sting through a table. And it crashed, right? And he was supposed to sell the table spot, but 30 seconds later, he's back on his feet. And I'm like, eh, something was off. But um, speaking of Sting, speaking of Sting, Sting here is like 60, what, 69 or 60-something years old. He climbs up a ladder, all right? He does a dive on Sammy Guevara through the tables. One of them breaks, but the other ones didn't. And the second one, I think he landed on his chin and it probably chipped his tooth. That was an insane fucking spot. And I'm like, and I really wasn't paying attention to the other parts with Darby Allen and Chris Jericho because I was too concerned with Sting. Everybody was not paying attention to it. They were making sure Sting was okay. And thankfully he was. And he managed to submit Jericho with the Scorpion Death Drop. No, the Death Lock. And ending the undefeated streak of the Paymaker. And Chris Jericho, he's been losing a lot. He's been losing a lot. And it is what it is, man. But other than that, like, Dynamite as a whole, I thought it was fine. It was a decent episode. But really, just a lot of chaos. It was a wild episode of uh, Dynamite. Yes, I'm talking to you. Do you like video games? Do you like watching me play video games? Are you into gaming? Well, what better way to see me in action playing different types of games like Fall Guys, uh, Splatoon 2, Chroma Squad, and many others? What better way to find me on Twitch? Twitch is my favorite place to stream. And uh, all I can say is you can, you're going to see greatness in me and gaming. Because I like to entertain my followers and just chat with them. See how their, lives are, how their lives are going. And you get to watch everything that I do for fun. I got, it's been four years since I got back into streaming, you know? Like, I was, the last game I streamed was uh, Overwatch. But if you or your friends like video games as much as I do, and you want to see me play it on Twitch, which I stream every Saturday, 
make sure you follow me on Twitch at Shino Phoenix. Just Shino Phoenix. And you get to see how fun it is to be a Twitch streamer. If you want to be a Twitch streamer yourself, make sure you make an account. And you get to do great things as well. So, again, make sure you follow me. Twitch.tv slash Shino Phoenix. Once again, follow me, Shino Phoenix. And now, back to our daily show. Now, Roman Reigns. Let's talk about Roman Reigns right now. He is on the run of his life as the undisputed WWE Universal Champion. Now, he's... Like I said, he's been on on an unbelievable run over the last few years after reinventing himself as the Tribal Chief, where he has held the Universal Championship for nearly two years and the WWE title for over a year. Reigns won a triple threat match at Payback over Braun Strowman and Bray Wyatt to win the Universal Championship. Since then, he has defended the title against the likes of Daniel Bryan, Edge, Kevin Owens, Jey Uso, Rey Mysterio, Cesaro, Finn Balor, John Cena, Sami Zayn, Matt Riddle, and others. Reigns then beat Brock Lesnar to unify the WWE Universal Championships with the WWE Championship to become the undisputed Universal Champion at last year's WrestleMania. And next Saturday's Money in the Bank Premium Live event, Solo Sokoa will team with Reigns to take on the Usos that's being hyped as the Bloodline Civil War. Now, Reigns has reached a new milestone as he has surpassed the world title reign of Pedro Morales, which landed, which lasted 1,027 days as Reigns has now been a champion for 1,029 days. He is still behind Hulk Hogan's reign from 1984 to 1988, which lasted 1,400 and 74 days. Bob Backlund's first reign and Bru- and Bruno San Martino's two reigns, the longest of which ran for 2,803 days. I don't know how long they're going to keep the title on on Roman Reigns. It's more than likely they I feel like they're going to have him drop it at next year's WrestleMania when they had the chance to pull the trigger. But um Look, the Bloodline story, it's been fantastic. But, again, I don't know how long Roman is keeping that title. It's like he's on autopilot right now. He is literally on autopilot because there's nobody else left for him to face. Which we might get into when we talk about money in the bank. But, I don't know if this is WWE's way of trying to surpass Hulk Hogan's record. Because it's going to take months. Maybe a full-blown years to reach Hulk Hogan's uh, record, which I don't see them passing. But um, they want to create these new records for the next generation, I guess. I, I don't know. Now, if you noticed on last week's SmackDown, 
there was a lot of notable changes, and I mentioned this on the last episode. There was a lot of changes that happened on SmackDown. Monday Night Raw had fingerprints this week on, like, had Vince McMahon fingerprints all over the Raw show. We all knew, I I knew that was going to be coming out. As soon as I saw the report, I'm like, yep, this is going to be a Vince show. And people in WWE, get this, they are trying to figure out a way to stop Vince McMahon from changing creative plans. Now, just to give you all the rundown. Vince McMahon made notable changes to the format of last Monday's episode of Raw and changes to the majority of the plans for SmackDown. There were several changes made to the show, including an advertised match. Match is not taking place. Bailey versus Shotzi with the spot in the women's lad- Money in the Bank ladder match on the line. Cameron Grimes versus Baron Corbin and... Santos Escobar versus LA Knight versus Butch would, would have been a fantastic match. Did not take place. Instead, LA Knight wrestled Rey Mysterio while Charlotte Flair was added to the card. Now, Dave Meltzer of The Observer confirmed a previous report that there is frustration within the company about McMahon making changes at the last second. And if there's one thing I do not like is things being told in the last second. And it just makes me question, why would I want to work there? Why would I want to work there if somebody is going to be changing their minds in the last fucking second? Now, and people are trying to figure out a way to prevent McMahon from making changes, from making the changes. He redid the entire show, Melsa said. I heard rumors everyone's got to be like treading on water because... I'm sure logic would tell you that there are many unhappy people and Paul Levesque, the head of creative, is one of them. You go in there and you build, you know, these were matches that were being built up with promos. They've been promoted for a week. They did the angles last week and then just take them away like nothing. Typical Vince McMahon. So it's got to be frustrating for the writers. It's got to be frustrating for Paul Levesque. Gee, you think? But the thing is, you know, it's Vince, right? And you can't like, you can't say anything, you know? That's what somebody brought up to me was like, if you're a writer, you can't say anything to Vince. If you're even, even if you're Paul Levesque, you can't say anything to Vince because it's like, you're fucked if you say anything to Vince. So you can't say anything. They're trying to figure out a way to have him not do this. And like one person noted me like, if you, it would be a lot better if you did did it the day before or two days before, before, but he's doing it the day of the show. And Monday wasn't bad. It was only the... You know, he dumped Seth Rollins' Ciampa match, which I agreed with. That was me. I agreed with that because there was, like, I heard rumors that Triple H didn't want Ciampa to lose in his return match. Even though Ciampa and Rollins would have a great match. And, you know, a lot of people who thought it was for the better because, you know, the Finn Balor attacking Seth Rollins, it adds more heat to the pay-per-view, which it did. Yeah, 
uh, you know, would have probably been really good match. I mean, Ciampa would have lost, but it would have been, I think he would have benefited a lot more losing to Seth than he would beating The Miz. I mean, he didn't get anything out of beating Miz. He's not Vince's priority, you know. Just like this week. You know, whatever they they were going to do with Shotzi and Bailey, Shotzi and Bailey aren't Vince's priority. Cameron Grimes and Baron Corbin aren't Vince's priority. You know, Vince has whatever Vince Vince's and then, you know, like they add Rey Mysterio LA Knight match for LA Knight to get a win. So obviously Vince is, you know, got to be somewhat high on LA Knight. And Ray is a guy, you know, in Vince's eyes, Ray is a guy that you always beat because people will always get into the matches and he is bulletproof and all of that. I could see that. Like when I saw that unadvertised match, when I was watching it, it was kind of like, oh yeah, this is, you know, before I even heard, it's like, this is Vince. I know Vince's MO with Ray and, you know, and almost all the things that are advertised that don't happen in the last couple weeks. I mean, they're always, or 90% of the time, or more, they're Vince's in this. But this was one of the, this one was the most because it was, yeah, three matches advertised, all pulled like hours before the show. It was a lot of, a lot of frustrations. It's Vince, and I mean, I'm sure they're gonna, there's gonna be people who're gonna try to figure out a way to ask him nicely, but unfortunately, it's Vince, and he's gonna do what he's gonna do. Now, for those who are wondering his mindset about the last minute changes, according to the Observer newsletter, Meltzer noted. Some additional insights in the mindset of McMahon regarding making changes. He thinks he knows the business and doing what he thinks is best. One source was quoted by him saying, he believes in what he says. Is he wrong all the time? No, actually he's not. He's actually got better input than most would believe. Is it all good? No. He's stuck on a certain mindsets that are gone. And that, let, let me repeat that line again. He's stuck on certain mindsets that are long gone. If that's not a definition of out of touch, then I don't know what it means. And it could be damaging. Well, gee, no shit. Of course it's damaging. What else do you expect? It's not the interference itself that's the problem. It's how and when he does it. The person stated that if he put all of this input on the night before or the morning of the show, it would be different. See? But he's making changes hours before the show goes live. Which, surprise to no one, leaves, leads, it leads to chaos. And Vince, y'all didn't want, and this is the same, like, y'all didn't want Vince back. And now here we are, the guy couldn't handle retirement, he's back, and more than likely he might be getting more power because that's all he wants after the merging with, uh, with Endeavor because 
it's going to happen. He's going to get more power. And all that stuff, Triple H being in charge of creative, like, it's all going to be for nothing. It's going to be for nothing. This is why the shows are intolerable to watch. Because if you do and if you do last minute shit, it makes for a bad show. If you do it like in advance, like if you put all the time and effort in advance to make the shows must see, then all I could tell you is this. And I'm I'm being real when I say this. And I'm if you put the time and effort into making your shows and if you like you do it days off. You don't make any changes at the last minute. It will make your employees happy. It will make your talent happy instead of treading in water and trying to figure out where the what the fuck is going to happen. This is why I said Vince needed to step down in creative. Because he will rip the script, write it during or day of the show. Everybody's confused on what the fuck's going on. They don't know what's happening. It creates an unsafe working environment. It's like Vince wants to be hands-on with everything because he feels like his son-in-law is putting on a better wrestling show than he ever than he's ever gonna do. Like, and I'm just being real when I say this. Nobody does not want to see Vince back in charge. Nobody. And it's funny because I said this in the last episode that Vince said, I won't, I won't be in the weeds of creative. Fucking lying piece of shit. Already a man of your word and you fucked up. Already fucking up big time because you, my good sir, just don't know when to keep your mouth shut. You just don't know. Now, 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 now. If they are trying to attempt to stop Vince from making changes, like, just have a meeting. Like, if I'm Nick Khan... I would have a meeting and I would tell, look, Vince, I know this is your baby, but everything has to be planned in advance. If you make some changes day of the show, it's just going to lead to chaos and it's going to lead to people wanting out because they don't want to work in an unsafe working environment. Like, are you crazy? Like, nobody wants that. I don't want that for the talent. I don't want that for the writers. And I don't want that for Paul Levesque because that's stressful. That is absolutely stressful. Vince needs to stay, get his hands off of creative, focus on the business aspect of the company, and boom, you're good. That's all. Like, just stop. Like, stop. That's all I'm just saying. Just stop. Stop trying to get involved in everything because the I'm being real. It was better off without you. It was better off without you, and now you want to be in the weeds on creative. Hell, even Ricochet, even Ricochet, and I said this in the last episode, even Ricochet said that Vince is back in creative. That's all I needed to know. So, I hope they do a meeting. And they talk to Vince, be like, look, Vince, we just need you to step away from, we just need you to focus on the business aspect. Do not be in the weeds of everything because, look, if your mindset is pretty much expired. It's outdated. It is literally outdated. And we don't want that. We don't want more chaos. We don't want more people being frustrated. We don't want none of that. 
So hopefully they find a way to stop this. But I have no faith. This is Vince we're talking about. Because he will do anything. Like, I guarantee he will probably hire John Laurinaitis back. And that's going to lead to the morale decreasing big time. And they don't want that. But that's just my little rant. Anyway. We have Jackie Redman. There's going to be a shakeup in the backstage role because Jackie Redman um, will be doing something big for Raw. On Tuesday, Variety reported that Redman has been named the backstage interviewer for Monday Night Raw alongside Byron Saxton and will serve as the premium live event kickoff show along with Kayla Braxton, WWE Hall of Famer Booker T, and Pete Rosenberg. Redman will continue to do studio work for the company with Raw Talk and Talkin' Smack, in addition to her work with the NHL Network and WBD Sports. The promotion will see Kathy Kelly uh, move to SmackDown, where she joins Kayla Braxton, two of my faves, as a backstage interviewer. Megan Morant will host Raw Talk, SmackDown, Lowdown, and the international shows. Now, Redman joined WWE in 2021 as a co-host to Raw Talk and Talk and Smack. Prior to joining WWE, she worked as a host and reporter in her native Canada for companies such as Rogers Sportsnet. The change comes after WWE made shakeup to the broadcast team in October of last year that moved various announcers to different brands across Raw, NXT, and SmackDown. The same that same announcement revealed Kelly's WWE return after departing in 2020. So this should be good. This should be good. I mean, I hope she does well as a backstage interviewer. I mean, and is she's this is somebody this is her first time and I'll, I'll give my thoughts on how she did. And look, SmackDown, they got Kathy Kelly, and they got Kayla Braxton. Those are two of my loves. I love those two so much. And we'll see where that goes. Here's an interesting thing about L.A. Knight. L.A. Knight was close to being fired by WWE last year, and that would have been a massive, 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 massive mistake. And it would also be a blessing in disguise for, um, like, it will also be a blessing in disguise for, for, uh, LA Knight. Now, Chris Van Vliet, who is excellent when it comes to these interviews, he interviewed LA Knight and some of the highlights he talked about when he noticed that the crowds were cheering him. He's like, I can tell you exactly. It was back in March. We were in D.C. And Sheamus and Drew McIntyre were in the ring. Then all of a sudden, the music hit. I walked out and I remember it just kind of hit me. I was like, that's different. I was thinking that to myself. I was like, ah, they probably know I'm from up the road. And Hagerstown is only hours away. It's like an hour away. Maybe enough of them... No, then we went to Pittsburgh the next week. We went to New York. 
the week after that, and everywhere we went beyond there. It just continued to pick up more and more. And I'm just like, okay, I'm not from New York. I'm not from Pittsburgh. So maybe it's not that. Since then, it's just it just kind of picked up. L.A. got to a fever pitch. Obviously, hell, Triple H is out there doing the presser in Saudi Arabia, and he's interrupt. He gets interrupted. So something something's happening. I don't know why, and maybe I don't even want to know why. But for some reason or another, the people are demanding me. Now, this. Now the next part. Um, he talked about his developmental ten years ago. He says when I got let go the first time, there was it wasn't because of talent issues, and that that was made very clear to me. It was very much a professional issue. There's a perception with me and the head coach at the time, and the way that things were going were not good because I was poking the bear because of things that were happening the way things were going. Eventually, he was out. And I was kind of floating around the the either side. I had to run into some people and they were like, hey, what do you think about coming back? I said, I'd love to come back. The only issue was since leaving with Heat, I was kind of given the same offer I had the first time around. And I was making more money where I was. So I was like, I'm going to stay here for a year to hang on to this. And so I did. For the immediate future, that was probably the best move. Long term, not the best move because I quickly hit the ceiling financially, professionally, whatever, where I was. And at some point, it was like, I'm going to have to take this short-term downgrade and pay because even though I'm making more here, I'm stuck. But if I take this downgrade here, eventually, I can be well above here. Now... Chris Van Vliet talked about the Max du- going back to the L.A. Knight character after being Max Dupree. And this is what he said. Well, let me go ahead and say this. I'm pretty sure I was fired and it just didn't, it just hasn't, hadn't officially happened yet. Without getting into many details, some things happened. I don't remember what it was, but some things happened. Then I had gotten a FaceTime. Hey, you know, we want to keep you around. We want to do this, this, that, whatever. And okay, cool, good. So somehow, I have been saved from being thrown off a cliff. At least this is my interpretation of it. Maybe I'm incorrect. I don't know. So eventually, things kind of worked out. I think that maybe, again, maybe some of the testaments to why Things are working out the way they are, and the people reacting the way they are is because one of the, one of these was not me, and I didn't know who I what who it was. One of those, one of these is very much just me. I don't have to think about L.A. Knight. I don't really have to dig in like who, what is this? Who am I? What am I going? What am I doing? I just go and do because I just go and do because it's just me hiding. Now, note there were rumors around the time period that Knight was on the chopping block, and pretty much he com- these comments confirmed the rumors. And 
I'm actually glad LA Knight is still here. Like, after all the reaction he's getting, he's he's a megastar. He's a megastar. He could, like, at this point, he shouldn't even be a heel. I think he, like, he could play a great heel, but he could play a good baby face too. And I think this should be the opportunity to have him be the baby face. Keep riding that momentum. Don't just squander it because he he's getting over. Looking at you, Vince, in particular. And you don't see nothing in him. Which would be a big, big mistake. It really would be. But I'm glad that he's still here. I'm glad that he's over. And I hope WWE pulls the trigger on him because... This guy's the future. He's the future. Believe me. Now let's talk about Rick Steiner. Now Rick Steiner's behavior a few months ago. uh, Fans were concerned that it might negatively impact his son. Braun Breaker and his career in WWE. For those of you who don't know what happened. And if you don't know. Let me explain. On April. Steiner made transphobic comments towards Impact Wrestling uh, star Giselle Shaw at WrestleCon on WrestleMania weekend, which was corroborated by several people who witnessed it. While recently speaking with USA Today, Breaker stated that his father's transphobic comments do not reflect him. Sean Ross Sapp of Fightful Select reported that Steiner confirmed the situation happened to multiple people. The, pe- the report added that there was no heat from WWE towards Breaker, but they were told that it eliminated any chance of the company using Rick Steiner for quite some time. It was said by those they spoke with that there was no consideration in holding Breaker responsible for something his father did. The former NXT champion has reportedly not had any character issues since joining the company. Breaker was in action on NXT where he lost to Seth Rollins in a great match. And it's like his transphobic com- comics definitely cost him a chance to come back to with, with WWE or do something with the company or any wrestling company. Like I said, if you make transphobic comments, you're just a piece of shit. Like you will be labeled as a piece of shit and... I will have zero sympathy for you whatsoever. And you could try and apologize. You could try to get your life back. But you fucked yourself over. You got nobody to blame but yourself. You really do. And that right there is the definition of be careful what you say. And I'm glad it's not affecting Braun because Braun's doing his thing. Braun is doing his own thing. And that's all I could say about it. Now, you may be wondering why Grayson Waller hasn't been wrestling that much. And this is unfortunate because Grayson Waller is injured. That's why we've been seeing the Grayson Waller effect so much on the main roster. Because he is injured. Now, he posted a video on Twitter and revealed that he suffered a broken leg during his... April 25th bout with Carmelo Hayes for the NXT title, which is why he hasn't wrestled. He said, in my last match against Carmelo Hayes, I broke my leg. Clean break of the uh, fibula. 
I broke, but because I'm a straight up gangster from southwestern Sydney, I kept going and I was moments away from becoming NXT champion. Fast forward two weeks ago, I hobbled on crutches into the WWE draft and SmackDown with a steal of, ent- of the entire draft chooses Grayson Waller despite the fact that I couldn't wrestle. I could barely even walk. The reality is Grayson Waller on one leg has more value than 99% of the wrestlers with two. So what did I do? Week after week on Fox, I entertained millions with the Grayson Waller effect. The hottest talk show in all of pro wrestling. Like with the biggest stars in the game. AJ Styles, Charlotte Flair, Asuka, the next tag team champions, Pretty Deadly, and on SmackDown, Logan Paul. But let's stop and talk about the talk show for a bit. Because I keep seeing whatever I... I keep seeing whatever I'm saying online. Am I just a talk show host? Now, if I was, guarantee I'd be the greatest talk show host in the industry of this company. But as good as I am, the Grayson Waller effect... The Grace... On the Grayson Waller effect, as good as I am on the microphone, I'm better in the ring. So the question is, when I'm back, well, I have, well, I have good news and I, ha- but I have bad news. The bad news is I don't owe a thing to you, social media flops. See what I've learned the last eight weeks: all the pain, all the suffering, all the rehabs, doing everything I could possibly to make sure. When I come back in the best shape of my life, people online couldn't care less. The fans couldn't care less. They don't. They didn't celebrate the fact that I was on SmackDown every week. They bitched and they complained because I wasn't wrestling. So I'm not going to tell you. But the good news is you will get an answer very, very soon. It's just going to be on my time because that's the Grayson Waller effect. So... That's the reason why we haven't been seeing him wrestling. So I wish him a speedy recovery. And hopefully when he's 100%, I hope he gets to showcase to everybody what he can do in that ring. Because he's a great talker. He's a great heel. But he's really good in the ring. And it shows. So that's just my honest take. And to the surprise of no one, Carlito has signed with WWE. Dave Meltzer reported in The Observer on the WWE's 50th anniversary show that took place on June 24th in Bayamon, and he confirmed that the former WWE star is returning very soon. Since, Car- Since WWE backlash, there was a talk about Carlito possibly returning to the company. Carlito has already said that he's open to working a full-time for a major wrestling company. And PW Insider reported that he is scheduled for the July 7th SmackDown TV event. And he is expected to be a part of that brand going forward. During the write-up about the WWC's 50th anniversary show, Meltzer confirmed that Carlito has signed a deal to return. And Meltzer wrote, the fans really wanted Carlito to win. But since he but since he just signed with WWE, he couldn't. Carlito is very good for this level, but fans were into the old timers, so he wasn't over. Carlito got a standing ovation after the kiss after he kissed the ring. Uh 
and Sevenage and did tease he's gone he was going to WWE. Carlito was initially pushed as one of the future stars of the company in the mid 2000s, but there were perceived issues with his attitude and or lack of motivation. He eventually left the company but returned a couple of years ago for an appearance at the Royal Rumble and on Raw the next night. At Backlash, he got the biggest pop of the night and it's possibly one of my favorite reactions ever that did not go unnoticed by WWE management. I'm honestly happy to that Kalito's coming back. And since he's going to be on SmackDown, there's no better opponent for him to feud with than with Austin Theory. I could I could envision Envision this. Austin Theory issuing an open challenge to anybody and Carlito answers and he wins the title. That would be nice. I think that would be fucking nice. But um, I am looking forward to seeing what Carlito is going to bring to uh, SmackDown. I think that's a, that's a great move to sign him after that ovation. Why wouldn't you want to sign him? That is good. And he's in fantastic shape. Monday Night Raw was was in the M-Mark Arena in Savannah, Georgia. Um, this was a mixed bag, to say the least. It was a mixed bag, but this was a Vince McMahon show. Because his fingerprints was all over this episode of Monday Night Raw. Now, we start things off with Rhea and Dominic. And Dom tries to welcome fans to Raw, but he's getting booed. Which, that brings a smile to my face. And Ripley calls them, then calls Cody Rhodes a loser and says the momentum has been slowing down as of late. He says Dominic will put him out of his misery in London, which brings out Cody Rhodes. And Rhodes says, look, I know what you're trying to do. And he welcomes fans to Monday Night Raw, which got a big reaction. Dominic tries to speak, but he gets cut off by the booze. So he whispers something to Rhea Ripley and says Dominic told her that that you will show that she that he will show Rhodes how exactly uh and Ripley says Dominic told her that he will show Rhodes exactly how dangerous he is. And Rhodes thanks her for the education. He says he's been proven to be effective and invites Dominic to share how he feels. He says, those who mind don't matter, and those who matter don't mind. Um, and that's a, that's a good line. I really like that line. Those who who mind don't matter and those who matter don't mind. He says, Dominic is quoting a children's book because he's just that he's a child. Dominic and Ripley retreat to the back and Rose asks where they're going. He says, I'm giving you a free shot. So Dominic hops back up on the apron he dismisses Rhodes and hops down before heading to the back before Rhodes adds that if he wants to find out if Dominic is half the man his father is or if he's simply mommy's little boy. This was a fine segment to hype up their match uh, going into Money in the Bank. And just to go on with the Dominic stuff, Dominic and Rhea walk in and... Dominic demands a match to prove how tough he is to Cody Rhodes. He says, I have someone in mind, and Pierce asks who, and Ripley whispers something to Dom and tells Pierce that he'll get back to them, which 
it was Dominic later during the show. It was Dominic against Akira Tozawa, which that's pretty much what happened. It, Dominic got the win after Akira Tozawa was distracted by Mommy. I mean, I don't blame him. I mean, Rhea's fucking hot. But really not much I could say about it. Um, But rewinding, we got Ricochet and Shinsuke Nakamura. This was a fine match. It was average for what it was. Ricochet, he got the win with the uh, shooting star press. And just to give him some momentum heading into uh, Money in the Bank. Now, we go backstage to Matt Riddle. And he's talking about he's talking to Byron Saxton about his challenge to Gunther for the Intercontinental Championship match at Money in the Bank. Kaiser walks in and attacks Riddle, and Gunther appears and accepts the challenge, which this is gonna be a banger. Bar none. Bar none. We have Ronda Rousey taking on Raquel Rodriguez. I did not care about this match. I'm being real when I say this. I did not care. Um Ronda Rousey, she got the win, so not much, really not much. They aired a really good video package of Finn Balor, and he talks about how the guy that beat Seth Rollins seven years ago is dead, and the Finn he's going to see now is much more worse. And I love that he mentioned when he had to relinquish the Universal title, what did Seth Rollins do when he came out? He laughed. And I'm like, holy shit, they're actually doing long-term booking. This is fantastic. And I'm glad they called back on that. that. And I'm like, they could use that to their advantage. And here they are, they're using it to their advantage. And honestly, this is getting me hyped for their match going into Money in the Bank. But I love this. I thought this was a really good video uh, promo for Finn Balor, which brings out to... Which brings us to his opponent, Seth freaking Rollins. He's in the ring and he's welcoming Savannah to Monday Night Rollins. And he gives a shout out to Carmelo Hayes who is in the audience. And he thanks him for having his back this past Tuesday after Finn Balor attacked him. And he says they have more in common than what meets the eye. He says they're both fighting champions and promote and he's promoting his match against Baron Corbin, which I think they're trying to get more NXT stuff on the show, which they should have done. And he addresses his Money in the Bank match with Finn Balor and says he's got his answer about which Balor would be coming to Monday night to uh, Money in the Bank. He calls Balor out to the ring, but he doesn't appear. And Rollins says Balor will keep hiding in the shadows. And he's convinced he says Balor has convinced himself that he's supposed to take everything from Rollins like he did seven years ago. Despite not being 100% tonight on, or on Saturday night, Balor has, hasn't accounted for him. Rollins said when it's just him and Balor in the ring, Balor's best version is nowhere as good as his. All of a sudden, Finn Balor comes in and he's trying to blindside Rollins with a chair, but Rollins sees him. He knocks the chair out of his hand, raining down right hands before Balor grabs the chair. He knocks it out of his hands again, and Rollins dumps him out of the ring and rains down a right hand. 
Balor sends him crashing into the ring step and the announce desk and delivers a kick to his mis- to his mis- to his midsection, grabs the chair from the timekeeper's area. Hayes grabs it out of a uh, out of out of his hands, allowing Rollins to clothesline him into the timekeeper's area. Balor retreats to the crowd, and that was the segment. Uh, and I thought this was a nice way to build more momentum for their match, which I already know is going to be good. I know for a fact that it's going to be good. So I thought they did a pretty good job. And with Carmelo Hayes, we'll talk about him in a second because he had a match on Monday Night Raw. We had Tommaso Ciampa backstage with Byron Saxton, and he's asking why he attacked The Miz last week. And Ciampa explains it was out of frustration over the fact that Miz never checked up on him once after he got injured. And that was pretty much one of the reasons why. And we were supposed to have Miz versus Ciampa, but Miz, he attacked Ciampa from behind, which I asked why we... this, And I just said, this week's the Vince, when I was watching it, I'm like, why are we doing a rematch? But it was just a setup. That's what it was. It was a setup. And really not much I could say about it. So we go backstage... We see Imperium strategizing for Gunther's Money in the Bank match with Riddle when Sammy and KO walk in to defend Riddle's honor, leading to an argument for a one-on-one match between Zayn and Gunther later tonight, which, that is, that's just wow. And I got my thoughts on that match. The Women's Money in the Bank Summit, I really did not care about this, and I just thought it sucked. Now, Corey Graves, he welcomed fans to the Money in the Bank Summit and explains how it works, and Bailey cuts him off and brags about being the only woman in the match to win Money in the Bank. She has the biggest chance of winning the ladder match, but corrects herself and says Sky also has a good chance. And again, pay attention to EO's expressions because she may not... Like, people will say her English is not good. I disagree. I think her English is pretty good. Same with Asuka. But their facial expressions tell the story. And Sky says, may the best woman win. Now, Vega expresses her frustration with Bailey dismissing everybody else in the match and says Lynch has accomplished everything except win money in the bank. She calls Stratus a legend and that has never been in a ladder match and says everyone is looking out for the, at the next Miss Money in the Bank. Bailey is laughing and Vega tells her that She'll start taking her seriously when she proves her wrong and brings the briefcase back to the LWL. Bailey says Vega is a bigger idiot than she looks and the two start arguing and Stark tells him to calm down and Stratus says that she sees a bunch of little girls. She says it's clear to her why she wasn't ne- she was needed to save the women's division because she is a woman. She says she's the best and the greatest woman to ever wrestle. And winning is what she does. She says everyone will be thanking her for letting them be a part of a historic moment. Then asks Lynch if she'll be man enough to thank her when it's all said and done. Becky Lynch, she didn't need to talk. She takes a shot of Stratus and the brawl happens. EO levels everybody outside with the uh, springboard moonsault. Becky Lynch climbs the ladder, grabs the women's briefcase... And boom, that that was the segment. 
really not much I could say about it. It's just, eh. It was just a mess segment. Didn't really do much to get me excited. Now we go backstage to Becky Lynch and Rhea Ripley. She confronts Rhea and says, she says, Becky better hope she doesn't win the briefcase because trying to cash in on her would be the last thing she'll ever do in WWE. Now Lynch says when she was champion, she was the main event in every town. But Rhea, you're nothing but a main event side piece. And she wants to win the briefcase just to see Rhea Ripley squirm. So pretty much Becky Lynch told, like there was no comeback for Rhea Ripley. And the women's, the women's world champion on Raw, like it's on lockdown because there's nobody that's believable. They had Raquel right in the wings. They didn't, they tease Raquel challenging Rhea Ripley last week. What happened? What happened? So you're going to need some stars to build. And that's something that is desperately missing for, um, the women's division. There's nobody that's believable to face fucking, um, to face, um, Rhea Ripley. And that's the God honest truth. We had a really good match between Gunther and Sami Zayn. This was great. The crowd was into it. I was into it. I have never seen a bad match from Gunther. Ever since he arrived on the main roster. Ever since he won the Intercontinental Championship. Gunther has never had a bad match. And his work shows. He had an excellent match with Kevin Owens. He had, He's having an excellent match with Sami Zayn. He's going to have an excellent match with Matt Riddle. And I'm, I'm just looking forward to his matches. Like, as soon as he drops that Intercontinental title, because now that title's beneath him. And that's the God honest truth when I say it. That title is beneath... Um, it is literally beneath... Um, uh, Gunther. I think the World Heavyweight title has a nice ring to it. And I think he will be a perfect World Heavyweight Champion. Which I think that's the smart move you can do. But Gunther, he got the win over Sami Zayn. After the match, Imperium. And by the way, Giovanni Vinci is back. And he they're beating down Owens and Sami Zayn. When Matt Riddle runs down or limps down to make the save. He hits Vinci with the crutches, then attacks Gunther, and Owens lands a stunner on Kaiser. So, just to give Matt Riddle some momentum. We had Finn Balor taking on Carmelo Hayes. This was a good match. This was a really good match. I thought Carmelo Hayes looked great on his main roster debut. And there's the point where people will be complaining about the finish. Now... Finn Balor beat Carmelo Hayes clean. Keep in mind that Carmelo Hayes is the NXT champion. Now, I know I don't like having your champions being pinned. And that's one of my biggest gripes in pro wrestling. Your world heavyweight champion, your main champion, should not be pinned in a non-title match. But what I really liked about this is 
it gives Carmelo Hayes some exposure to the main roster because we know how good he is. And I think WWE is well aware that they got a star right there in the making. And Carmelo Hayes, I say it every time, he's he's the fucking GOAT. He's the fucking GOAT. And I think there's more potential in him to be a main event player. But, yes, the champ lost. Yes, he lost before his match against Baron Corbin. Yes, I understand that. And I know most people are going to complain about that. But I'm not going to take any issue with that. I thought Carmelo looked great in his match. Even in defeat, he looked great against Finn Balor. Which makes me want to see another match between these two. But kick it into high gear. But in the main event, we had Cody Rhodes and Damian Priest. I thought this was pretty good as well. It's like the third hour felt like a pretty good show. Like the first and second was just met. But Cody Rhodes got the win over Damian Priest with the crossroads. After the match, Dominic blindsides Rhodes from behind, but quickly slides out of the ring and heads back with Ripley and Priest. So, this was Dom getting the last laugh. But other than that, I thought this the third hour pretty much saved the show for me, but the rest was just meh. was just meh stuff. We had week two of NXT Gold Rush, which... The first one was really good. The second one was pretty good as well. Now, they kicked things off with the NXT Women's Championship match between Tiffany Stratton and Thea Hale. I thought they did pretty well. I thought they did pretty well. There was a spot where... There was a spot where... um, Thea Hale had Tiffany Stratton beat with the Kimura. But the ref was distracted by Drew... Duke Hudson, and Charlie Dempsey. Now, Thea Hale lost via a roll-up because she was trying to tell the ref I had the match won. But Tiffany Stratton retained, and Gulak and Dempsey after the match, they're berating Thea Hale, and Hudson, Hudson has an issue with that. Gulak and Dempsey, they attack Hudson when all of a sudden... Andre Chase made his return and he got a big reaction. And they run, they level both men in his return to NXT, which I thought that was great. And I, I'm going to say this the Chase U stuff, I'm loving it. They are getting over. And if I'm doing this, hell, if you want tag team champions, put, put it on uh, Andre Chase and Duke Hudson. I think that would be perfect. The crowd loves it. I love it. And I and it would be a nice feel-good moment. We had the NXT tag team titles on the line as Gallus defended against Idris Enofe and Malik Blade. Uh this this was good. This was good for what it was. Gallus, they retained oh, and get this, Stax. Stax actually played a part in this match. And we're gonna get to a segment with Tony D'Angelo because I've been calling this, my brother's been calling this, everybody and their mothers have been calling this. So Gallus, they retained over Idris and Ofle and Malik Blade. And I, like I said, I thought they had a really good match. 
The Megaphor backstage with Mackenzie Mitchell. And Mitchell asks Dar about losing his Heritage Cup. And Noam Dar says, I'm not ready to talk. So she's tr- she tries digging deep, but Lash and Jakara keep her from doing so. And they put Ronda and Shayna on notice since they won a tag match. All I can say to these two is, good luck. You're going to need it if you if they defend their titles on NXT. Schism, they're in the ring, and Ava says, I call for this family meeting because the tensions are becoming turmoil. She says the only way to be one again is to communicate. And Joe Gacy invites them to do so. Jagger Reed explains that Gacy promised to better their lives when he brought them into the group. But the opposite of that is occurring. He's saying himself and Rip Fowler are starting to doubt him. And Gacy thanks Reed for his honesty. He says his trouble angers him. And while Reed has enhanced the level, no, his life, he wouldn't have been able to say what he did because Fowler wouldn't let him. And he says he gave them both a home. Fowler says Gacy showed them a new way, but himself and Reed have started seeing cracks of late. He said the two of them have started to to see who they are, and Gacy questions if they are fully committed themselves in the first place. He says they're all different than when they started. They are shells of who they were a year ago. Which brings out Diamond Mine, and Brutus says, look, we're sick of their issues. And Fowler tells them that this doesn't concern them. And Julia says it does after Ava hit Ivy now with the mask several weeks ago. So Julia says Fowler and Reed don't want to be there and they don't want to be here. So Gacy says they'll receive another match if they want. And proposes a tag match between the Creed and the Dyad. But with the twist. Loser leaves NXT And the Creed brothers agreed. So this should be pretty good. But this episode, next week's episode is already taped because Tuesday is going to be the 4th of July. So, I mean, I'm not, I did see the spoilers and let's just say it's going to surprise you. Uh, Rhea Ripley was actually backstage uh, with Carmelo Hayes. And... She pr- she pretty much tells Hayes that your business his business is now Judgment Day's business after you helped Seth Rollins. So that's that. We had the NXT Heritage Cup match with Nathan Frazier and Dragon Lee. Dragon Lee's got new theme music. No more catch me in the pit. Sad. But this was excellent. I thought this was the best match on the entire fucking show. Like, it started slow, but it picked up in the last, like, by the middle and the end. These two can do no wrong. And the crowd was on their feet. I was literally on my feet watching it. This was amazing. Nathan Frazier retained, and Lee handed Frazier his cup, and the pair hugged one another. So, that was good. They show a video of Eddie Eddie Thorpe training with Gable Stevenson. And he invites him to be in his corner next week when he collides with Damon Kemp in their NXT Underground match. And 
Stevenson said it will be an honor. So there's that to build up to uh, Underground. Gigi Dolan, she got a win over Kiana James. Really not much to say about this match. But after the match, Dolan, James hits Dolan with her purse, delivers a DDT, retrieves a couple of cans of orange and blue paint, and dumps them all over Dolan. So this feud is still continuing. Um, There was a backstage segment with JC Jane talking about Lyra Valkyria. And Lyra Valkyria was behind her. She she knocks out J.C. Jane and Rhea Ripley walks in and says, you don't want to mess with her. And literally putting over Lyra. So that was nice. We get a video of Joe Coffey visiting Tony D'Angelo in prison. Now D'Angelo says Stax will handle things. And Joe warns him that Stax has his mind of his own. He says Stax was the one who sold him out. And he plays the audio clip of Stax confessing to doing so last week. The audio revealed that Stax released Joe last week and told him to lay low before saying he's done being the underboss. So, I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. But um, this was this was really good to say the least. We had Carmelo Hayes in the main event defending his NXT championship against the lone wolf Baron Corbin. I cannot tell you how happy I was when I heard uh, his superhuman theme for the lone wolf. I was excited because he shedded the happy Corbin, all the vent stuff that that they gave Baron Corbin, all of that is shedded. And I thought this was Baron Corbin's best match. This was his best match. And usually I would be bored with Baron Corbin, but man, this was really good. And Carmelo Hayes, he retained, which made sense because, look, they almost had me when Corbin almost won. I would have been like, oh my goodness, y'all really going to take the title off of him? But thankfully that didn't happen. Carmelo Hayes, he retains. And he lives to um, he lives to to keep the title. Now the show doesn't end with that. It ends with Braun Breaker emerging from Shawn Michaels' office as he yells at him to figure it out. And the cameraman is asking, "What was that all about?" And he's like, "You'll find out next week." So, getting everybody ready for next week's um episode, but. Other than that, I enjoyed this this episode of NXT. I really did. I thought this episode was really good. And we're going to end it here. We're going to end it with my predictions for Money in the Bank, which will take place at the O2 Arena in London. And I already know London is going to bring their A game. They're going to bring their A game, and I'm going to start with the women's Money in the Bank ladder match, which I know for a fact is going to kick off the show. We have Zelina Vega, Becky Lynch, Zoe Starks, Bailey, EO Sky, and Trish Stratus. Now, this match, I expect this to be pretty good. I expect some story drama with Becky and Trish and Zoe Starks. You got Zelina and Damage Control, and you got Bailey, possibly. 
EO possibly wanting out of damage control. But, um... But... There's two names... That come to mind. That I think have the potential to win... The Money in the Bank contract. Those two... Are Bailey and EO Sky. If I have to pick my likeliest candidate to win, my bet would be EO Sky. And I will have EO hold on to that briefcase. And the reason I'm saying that is because usually at Money in the Bank, the women never got a chance to fairly hold on to that briefcase. Now, what I would do, what I would do, depending if Asuka is still the the women's champion. I would have her cash in for a match at SummerSlam. Even though I want to see this match take place at WrestleMania. But part of me thinks EO wins. I could see Bailey possibly screwing over EO. And Bailey wins the briefcase. Now you could still have EO win the briefcase from Bailey if she puts the briefcase on the line. There's gonna be drama, which I'm looking forward to, but if I have to say it, I think EO wins. I think EO becomes Miss Money in the Bank. On the men's side, we got Ricochet, Shinsuke Nakamura, LA Knight, Santos Escobar, Butch, Damian Priest, and Logan Paul. I expect this to be crazy. I expect this to be insane. I expect th- these men to go out there and put on a fucking show. I really do. And judging, judging by what I'm seeing, there has been a lot of conflict because Vince wants Logan Paul to win Money in the Bank because he feels like he feels that it will get more eyes on the product. That's one likely candidate. Triple H doesn't want Logan Paul to win Money in the Bank. And that's and there's a good reason. Because LA Knight is super over right now. How can you not, and I'm being real when I say this, how can you not fathom thinking about putting the world heavyweight title, no, the Money in the Bank briefcase, on LA Knight when he is white fucking hot? And I'm being real when I say this. How can you even fathom not doing that? The guy is over. You gotta strike while the iron is fucking hot. My wild card has to be Damian Priest. Because Damian Priest, he's white hot. He is super over with some of the people behind the scenes in WWE. And I could definitely see him winning. And it could create more drama with the Judgment Day. So out of the three names, Logan Paul, LA Knight, and Damian Priest. Out of those three, who do I pick the most? I'm going to say LA Knight. I think Triple H wants to ride that momentum with LA Knight. But he ain't going to cash in on Roman Reigns. He has a fat chance in hell cashing in on Roman Reigns. He has a better chance cashing in on Seth freaking Rollins. And that's going to say a lot. But we don't know. We'll see where it goes. But I got LA Knight. I think he's winning. We have Gunther defending the Intercontinental Championship against Matt Riddle. I am predicting a Gunther win in an epic match between him and Riddle. These two are going to have a great match. Looking forward to that. 
But Gunther, he ain't dropping that title. And I could see Drew McIntyre possibly coming back. You never know. We got Ronda Rousey and Shayna Baszler defending their women's tag titles against Liv Morgan and Raquel. I'm predicting a Ronda and Shayna retaining the titles. Really not much I could say about it. We have Dominic Mysterio taking on Cody Rhodes. I'm going to go with an upset. I'm going with Dominic Mysterio. And the reason being is because I feel like Brock Lesnar is going to get involved in this match. He's going to cause Cody Rhodes the match. And Dominic gets the win. And he could gloat and gloat and gloat about how I beat Cody Rhodes on my own. Because you know we're going to be hearing that when that happens. So I'm going with Dominic Mysterio. I think he's going to win. We have Seth Rollins defending the World Heavyweight Championship against Finn Balor. Seven years in the making. I think this is going to be a fucking barn burner. I think these two are going to tear the house down. Do I want Finn Balor to win? Yes, I do. Do I see it happening? No. I think this still goes to Seth Rollins. And I feel like they're saving Rollins' title reign for an eventual title change for Gunther. I think when Gunther loses the Intercontinental title, he drops, he goes after the World Heavyweight title, and he wins the title from Seth Rollins. I think that's the direction they're going to go with. So I'm going with Seth Rollins. I think he's going to retain this match. Well, the title. And in the main event, we have the Bloodline Civil War between the Usos against Roman Reigns and Solo Sokoa. Ooh. Ooh, this is going to be tough. This is going to be tough because I could see the Usos winning because they just got back. But if Roman and Solo lose again, it's going to create more drama with... um. Him and Roman. And it looks like we might be seeing a tease of of possibly that. Because I would not mind that at all. And the reason is tough because I could see both teams winning. And I'm being real when I say this. I could see both teams winning this match. And I'm going to just make a guess. I'm going to take a guess because this is honestly hard. This is really the hardest prediction that I've ever had to make. But um, if I had to pick a winner for the Usos or Roman Reigns, part of me wants to say the Usos. I think the Usos win. And you tease more drama with Solo and Roman. And Solo, he will eventually have enough of Roman's bullshit. And then that leaves Heyman. So that adds a lot of layers to the story. So I'm looking forward to that. But that's it for this episode guys. That's my predictions. Um, I'm not going to cover Smackdown like I said. Because I'm going to be working a lot. So I won't be able to have time to watch it. When I get back from work. So this is all you're going to get from me. But thank you guys so much for tuning in. I really appreciate all of you who have supported and um, make sure you follow me on Twitter. Shino D Phoenix, follow me on Instagram. Cool man. Sip like the Facebook page. Uh, no one's ready for wrestling. Follow me on Twitch and kick Shino Phoenix. And um, 
and subscribe to my YouTube channel, Shino Phoenix, and follow me on TikTok, Shino D, D Phoenix. So until then, take care, be safe, support wrestling as much as you can, and this Phoenix flies off to work. I'll talk to y'all later. Peace out.